This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 148 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. When it comes to incident response, like in sports, you've got to practice like you play. In warfare, they say no plan survives contact with the enemy. And heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson had his own version. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. The point is, until you are actually in the heat of a high-pressure situation, it's highly unlikely you'll be able to predict how you and the members of your team will react. Our guest this week is Christopher Crummy. He's executive director of the X-Force Command Centers at IBM Security, and he and his team create highly realistic simulations of cybersecurity incidents to help organizations evaluate how they'll respond when the heat is on and the pressure is high. Stay with us. This is my 28th year at IBM. I was a school teacher right out of college and then been working for IBM ever since and was one of these things where I was very much customer facing and found this particular job at the cyber range uh, that kind of combined my history, my background, my passion, uh, and was a really great fit. And, you know, it's interesting to see that the team that I've put together there where it is people that have music backgrounds, people that have theater backgrounds, people that mm. have cyber backgrounds, um, all bringing together, uh, you know, these great and unique skills. Yeah, you know, and that, that fascinates me because that is something that I hear more and more, particularly as we have this this workforce shortage that um, folks like you are reaching out and finding uh, people from from all different disciplines and, and walks of life and finding their place within cybersecurity. Exactly. And, you know, that ability to communicate uh, the key business points along with the technical points actually requires many different skills. Storytelling skills, the ability to communicate, and, you know, it's one of the best practices we talk about in the, in the range is something called a bluff, a bottom line up front. Uh, and being able to do that is a, is a key feature. So 28 years at IBM means that um, you have seen a lot of changes in IBM itself. Uh, the company has, uh, has gone through some evolutions over that time. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, when I first started, uh, DOS was king. Uh, and, mm. uh, you know, one, two, three for DOS was the, the big item back then. So, yeah, it's gone through some amazing uh, changes. And that is... That is a fascinating part of IBM is its ability to adapt to the market as quickly as it, it does sometimes. So let's dig in and talk about the work that you're doing with um, the cyber ranges. Can, for folks who aren't familiar with what that's all about, can you describe it for us? Yeah, so we provide um, a highly immersive gamified tabletop, for lack of a better word, in the cyber range. So it's for certain skills that walk in, it's hands-on technical training. For CEO uh, and his or her staff, it would be a a full business response, but it's a hundred percent gamified. So the way the way I kind of describe it is: cyber best practices meets a game of Clue meets a Disney roller coaster ride, 
and we've got <laughs> one in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, we've got a dedicated cyber truck that runs through Europe uh, with 20 seats on it with a rolling data center uh, that's traveling through Europe. I was just in Vienna uh, a week into a week or two ago with the truck. And then we also bring this to customers in, in kind of a, a command on site model, if you will, where we bring iPads and other things to customers at a hotel or at their location. So we've put about 6,000 customers in the last three plus years through these experiences. And so it allows you to really get a feel for where your gaps are, where your strengths are, and then what that action plan is going to be once you get back to the office. Well, let's walk through it together. What is a typical day like for this? If I, if I, uh, if I send uh, my team to, to uh, experience uh, a day at the range, what can we expect? Um, so, Basically, once you get to let's let's start with Cambridge, if you will. Uh, you get to mm. Cambridge, um, you get you get seated down, and then we start with this idea of one of the best practices. So that's one of the things you realize is we've had some of the most mature customers in the world come through the range, and we we take and re-talk about and re-educate some of their best practices uh, on on a daily basis. So one of the first things we do is how is how are you organized in the room? And and one of them is this concept of a of a fusion center. So mm. you know, we we introduce a, a cyber incident in a something we call left and right of boom. Where boom is where you are literally on on the defense. And left of boom is where all the technical stuff happens, the phishing email and the malware and you know the credentials and all this type of stuff. But there's the right of boom where you have to talk to the press and write a holding statement and maybe engage with law enforcement or deal specifically with regulators or deal with an investigation by uh, you know the Department of, of Financial Services or something of that of that nature because you know we do focus on on different industries. So starting with that concept, you're going to be organized, to be able to respond to this in a full business response. And that is probably one of the biggest mistakes that we see customers make is that mm. they think a cyber response is a technical response and reality is a full business response. So someone's going to mm. play the role of legal. Someone's going to play the role of cyber. Someone's going to play the role of, of, of risk and fraud. Someone's going to play the role of, of communications and PR. Someone's going to play the role of HR, et cetera, et cetera. And now we're going to unfold real incidents that have happened, and now we're going to see how you respond to them. How does your run books stand up to this? How, most importantly, how does your culture stand up to this? And in a lot of ways, we feel like we are in a best practices laboratory where we look at how do they handle it from a cyber perspective? How do they handle it from a leadership perspective? How do they handle it from a crisis perspective? I'll turn to a person in the middle of the situation and I go, are you in a crisis? And he or she will say yes. And I turn to the person to the right and they go, no. I'm like, all right, maybe this is, this is one of your action points for later is to have hmm. a common language as you go through this. So everything we do in the range is based on true stories and we kind of reverse engineer them. So maybe one part of it is coming from a recent breach uh, maybe another part's coming from a recent ransomware moment. 
maybe another is coming from a headline somewhere, and you're going to live through all of those things in real time, under pressure, not having the right information, and you really figure out where you are. Does your run book stand up to this? Do you even know who to call? What is the definition of a crisis? When do you go under privilege and confidential at this moment? And this is where the psychology comes in. This is where mm. the human part really shows its face. And so that's what makes it fascinating is how much of this is the human side. As you're going through this exercise, does it does it happen that um, the people – it becomes real for them that that, that at some point it, it's as if they're not play acting anymore. This this you can see that the the actual uh, experience is becoming visceral. One thousand percent. And and we have a statement that we say that you train like you fight and fight like you train because you'll find hmm. out exactly where you are when you're under pressure. And so, I mean, tabletops are great and they're, and they're important, but what we want to do is we really want you to be under pressure. And this is, people are literally shaking. They are sweating. They are arguing. They are, they're swearing like truck drivers. Um, and it's, that's what I mean by, like, I, I feel like we should put on a lab coat and, and just see the psychology of this and where the human biases completely take control of the moment. And, and there are, you know, the, the, the visceral physical reaction. Um, I warn people how the stress hormone of cortisol is going to change how they react today. And it does. Hmm. Cortisol has an 18 minute half-life in your brain. And I'm warning the leadership that your team, when they are put under crisis, the cortisol stress hormone will make them make very bad decisions. And it's very, they don't see it until we point it out at the end of the day. And then the, the biases come into play. Uh, one, there's two of them that really stick out. One is this concept of confirmation bias. Mm. So this, the second they, they, let's say there's a data breach or, or at least they assume that there's a data breach. So the other golden rule in the range is validate, verify. And somehow they get notified that let's say there's a data breach happening and they automatically assume they lost it. They automatically assume it's their data and we might reveal at the end that it was their, their ecosystem that lost it and it's this data is eight years old, so it's not new. So they just go, oh, my God, we totally, we totally assumed it was. And I'm like, exactly. And, and this is the bad guys, and to a certain degree, are counting on that. And then we also see this concept of job bias, where in the middle of a crisis, someone feels like, oh, my God, I have to do my job. I'm going to now jump in and derail this incident response because of my job, because they've never tested hmm. this before. They've never felt like, uh, you know, so they're, they, to a certain degree, they panic and feel like they have to jump in. So it, it is a fat, David, is a fascinating uh, part best practices, part psychology, part leadership, part, part crisis all woven together when you, when you put someone under pressure. How important do you suppose it is to get them on site with you, to get them out of their natural environment? Because I, I think it's really, really important, um, and we don't really allow remote participants 
um, because of the immersion and the gamification and other aspects that gets them into the game, that gets them into the experience. Um, and so that's really, really important. Um, you know, we have fake stock and Twitter that runs in the room and decisions that you make in the room affect the stock and the Twitter. And we want to figure out when do other parts of the business kick in? If the stock drops more than six to 8%, does an entire different team have to be involved now? Does other things kick in? Um, you know, one of the other things we talk a lot about is all the things that have to stop happen when you're in the middle of a crisis, all the things that are in your run book, but, are, but all the things you need to stop doing while you're in a, in, in a situation. Um, so those are things that are really, really important to, to feel like you're there and in the experience. And it's one of those things where you can kind of see like in the beginning, they're not sure what's going on, but wow, do they really, they really get into the game. Uh, I remember a funny moment where, you know, I kind of mentioned, you know, kind of, kind of keep your eye on the stock and the Twitter over here. And, and about 30 minutes in, I look over and this guy has written down every minute change the socket went through. So um, I didn't want him. I didn't want him to go that far. But, you know, he was in he was in the game. So I, I was I appreciated him uh, doing that. But it must be fascinating also to to be able to track what different groups value. You know, like you say, you know, there's there's people are going to be keeping their eye on the stock price. There are people who are going to be keeping their eye on the social media. The people who are going to be keeping their eye on the data itself. And what, what an interesting window into how different people prioritize things within an organization. And, and it's so true. Again, that's where the job bias kicks in to a certain degree. And one of the major best practices that we talk about is this concept of a North Star and this concept of a commander's intent. And so for a leader to lead, they need to give everyone in the room what is the North Star. Is the North Star responding to the stock? Is the North Star responding to the regulators? Is the North Star responding to the customers? Like, where, where are you? Like, what is the North Star? And, and if you remember the Maersk situation a couple of summers ago, mm -hmm. their, their CEO released my favorite uh, uh, commander's intent I've ever heard. Uh, and if you remember, they got hit by the NotPetya really, really hard. Right. But he, he issued a, a communication that said, uh, do what's right for the customer. Do not wait for headquarters. We'll accept the cost. And I thought mm. that was one of the best leadership moments in a crisis I've ever heard. Because it mm. empowers the employees. They know exactly what success looks like. And in the middle of a crisis, there's a really good chance I'm not talking to my boss for the next 12 hours. So I know what to do. And I know what that means. And, and the North Star was the customer. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you hit it right on the head is the job bias says, I'm in legal. This is the direction we need to head in. I'm in communications. This is the direction. And so the leadership needs to give the North Star. And then the commander's intent is that, is that module or that communication that gives you the success. Do you have any insights on the difference between what you would categorize as mature organizations versus ones that may be at, at an earlier part in their journey with this sorts of thing, of the, the types of things that bubble up, the types of, of uh, things they discover about themselves. Yeah, and I would say 1,000% it's culture. 1,000% hmm. it's the culture of the company, right? I mean, if you, 
if you look at how strongly Equifax has come back from their their situation, it is very much about how they're organized. It's very much about their culture. It's it's how people report into Equifax. It is financial incentives on how you handle security. Um, you know, so for example, I, I think mature customers address the human side stronger than anyone else. And what I mean by the human side is, um, for example, they will train their employees at home first. Mm-hmm. Meaning rather than coming in and, and having cyber training and uh, at work, they're like, listen, let me, <laughs> let me make you better at home as a father or a mom or a sibling uh, and give you awareness about your Wi-Fi at home and your passwords and two-factor authentic. All that comes into work. So if you really want to make your culture stronger, start at home. And then the other thing is they'll bring in pocket runbooks. They'll bring in wallet runbooks. And the mature customers um, always sharpen the saw after an incident's over, they spend a lot of time reviewing what worked and, and what didn't work. And, you know, these are the things that we see a lot in, in, a, in mature customers. And especially like how they relate to business continuity and how they relate to crisis. Um, that cyber is at the same level as a hurricane or a, a, a an active shooter or other things. And cyber is a brand new language and a brand new set of steps that you need the employees to go through. Um, and so those are some of the, the mature things that we've seen. And, and sometimes we, we get customers that are like, I'm sorry, I don't even, can we back up? What, what is a run book? I'm sorry. Can we just go back mm, that far? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it varies on size and industry and maturity, but I would say the culture is the number one indicator of maturity. I, you know, I, I, I think about some of the the CEOs that I've known who are busy running their companies and, you know, r- running at high speed all the time. And I can imagine them saying uh, to their team, listen, uh, you know, you guys go, you guys go and you, you guys, you know, play for a day. Um, I got stuff to do. Um, how, how do you overcome that, that sort of, that buy-in? How do you get that buy-in from all levels of the company to say, this is time well spent? This is a, this is a great question. And we've actually done it on Saturdays because that was the only time the CEO and his or her team could actually do this. And hmm. they realize that is, this is not a tabletop, that this is a fully interactive situation. And we also go, and not only do we play the role of the defenders, but we also play the role of the hackers. So we have a whole team that will educate the executives on why they are 12 times more likely to be a part of a cyber incident than any other part of the, of the, of the corporation. And, you know, we've got a team of folks um, that will do OSINT research on the CEO with permission, of course, um, and they are floored as to what we can find out and how we would fake craft a phishing email and the information we can find out by the fact that, you know, your daughter said, happy birthday, uncle. So now I know the maiden name and it just continues and continues and continues, as you know. 
And that is the mm-hmm. aha moment, right? Where the, the, the email that you get afterwards was, thank you. We've got more funding and, and more headcount for next year because now I've got alignment of the executive staff. They understand this better because you personalized it to the corporation and you personalized it to, to them, it's it's the currency in the range, and when we do the the blue and the red experiences is aha moments, and yeah. when someone has that aha moment of how creative the bad guys are and how patient the bad guys are and the mistakes that others have made, that is when you start driving that culture and driving an understanding of why they need to invest in both the human and the tools and the teams and other aspects. And that's, that to me is the, one of the reasons why it's been so successful is the fact that it it does address that cultural situations through aha moments. What are some of the, the main lessons that you've learned about incident response by, by running this range, the experiences that you've had with all these people, these thousands of people who've come through, what are the take homes for folks who are building their own incident response programs? Don't let the range be the first time you've ever met face to face. Right. And, and, and sometimes it's not logical because you're, you're global uh, in a lot of ways we find, and I'm, and, and it's pretty, we're pretty spot on on this. We could tell probably in the first 30 minutes, if someone was a pr- prior law enforcement um, military or a first responder, they, they do the best in the range. They do the best because they train to crisis. They train to go towards the boom. Um, you know, th- there, there are moments where we purposely drive chaos in the room with actors and phone calls and stock is dropping. And, and the, like w- we literally drive crisis to the point where um, it's, it's very difficult, extremely difficult. And, People will push the phone. I mean, we laugh at it sometimes, but they'll push the phone to the person next to them because they don't want to answer. And, and so this is a good, you know, this is good to get them to feel like to get a taste of what what a crisis feels and and looks like, so they're better prepared for when it really, really does happen, right? Because it, that's the, that's the important part. But it, we do we can we can pick up on previous experiences relatively quickly. Yeah, how how interesting it is that we we seem to be at long last really bringing into focus this human side of things and this highly technical uh, world that we're in 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 cybersecurity. That how much of of the balance hangs on the human side of things. The the most you know go back to that mature customer thing for a second. The we talk about mm-hmm. something called frictionless security. Where the mature customers are like, okay, uh, we don't we have an anti USB policy here, um, and you know that's one of the things we show customers, the executives, is how dangerous a USB stick is and a and a USB ninja and all these other things, and they're like, oh wow, that's that's what we're up against. But but for example, if you take away the USB stick for companies, but don't give them an alternative to share files, you actually mm. make yourself more 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 vulnerable. If you, if you, in, you know, we've seen customers, you know, go to a 15 character password and provide password managers for everyone because human beings are not designed to manage and remember 15 character passwords. So, so help right. your employee, help your employees 
do the right thing by making it frictionless and giving them an understanding of why you need to change your passwords and and why the bad guys are are taking advantage of the fact that you reuse the gym password for your Netflix password for your bank password and they're going to leverage that to <laughs> to their advantage once they understand how and why they they get those aha moments and and their their cyber awareness does come up but the frictionless part i think is key not only for the culture but you know to make it easy for your employees to do the right thing our thanks to christopher crummy from the x-force command centers at ibm security for joining us don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 